Man, it's so good to be here and to come down to this part of our sermon series where we're at the very end of the Gospel of Luke uh, is, is kind of bittersweet to me. But the reason that I'm okay with it is because whenever I get back from Costa Rica, the following Sunday when I get back, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. So I felt like it would be really good for us as a church to not only study Luke's gospel, but to also go into the next writing of Luke in Acts and go through so that we can see not only the life of Jesus, but what does Jesus do in the life of the apostles after Jesus' ascension. And so that's what we're going to do. So after today, your homework is to start reading Acts. And I promise you, uh, you, you will read a bunch of stuff in Acts that or as we go through it, you're going to be like, man, I didn't realize that was in there like that. And it's going to be so good to you. It's one of the most exciting books in all of the Bible. There's a lot that happens there. But today, we are in our 16th uh, uh, sermon, sermon of the series of the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 24. And let's just jump into it. Jesus has really become the talk of the town, not only because Jesus has uh, been crucified, not only because of well, the miracles that he did and his crucifixion and all that, but three days ago up to this point, now we still have to remember this is resurrection day that all of this stuff has been happening. Three days ago, Jesus was crucified, laid in a tomb, and now there's rumor that Jesus has risen from the grave. This doesn't happen. This is not something that everyone is used to. We, we spoke last week about two guys, one of the guys names, named Cleopas. He has a friend. They're walking and talking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, but they don't know that it's Jesus. They don't realize it's him because their eyes have been closed. Their eyes have been shut to the fact that this is Jesus. Jesus sits down in their house, breaks bread with them, and immediately the Bible says that their eyes were open and they recognized who Jesus was. But before they could get any conversation in, knowing that it's Jesus, it says that Jesus vanished and he's gone. And right after Jesus vanished from their sight, verse number 32 picks up like this. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? And they rose that same hour. They returned to Jerusalem, which is about a seven mile journey away. And they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and appeared to Simon. And then they told what happened on the road and how he was with them in the breaking of bread. Now, they wondered why they couldn't see Jesus sooner, but their eyes just were not open to see him. And like what we talked about last week, you can't see until you can see. You just can't see it until you can finally see it. And so their eyes have been, they were, they were closed. And so with all of this excitement, Cleopas and his, and his partner there, they leave the house, go back to Jerusalem again, a seven mile journey. So they're going to be walking or running, I guess, for about another hour and a half to two hours. They find the other disciples in a room and some of the other people who's going along with them and they are talking about the same thing. The news headlines, the tomb is empty. This is what's going on, and they're talking about it. Where is he? Well, the Roman soldiers have been paid off to tell a lie. What's the lie? Anybody remember? They've been paid off. Tell them the disciples took them, and we'll, we'll keep this hush-hush. Say that the disciples took them, and if you even go back and read it, you'll see where they actually write in the Scriptures that even to this day, that lie is continuing to be in circulating around, uh, around the Jewish people. And so they're, they're exchanging these stories now, and they're affirming one another and what they've seen and what they have 
heard. And there's no doubt that this is an exciting moment in their life. And then, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, something really, really cool takes place. And I want you to look at what actually takes place in verse number 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. What about you? Would you? (laughs) Yeah, we probably would too, right? And then He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And then he said, then when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, verse 41. And while they were still, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And he gave, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. Now, why do doubts arise in your hearts? He asked them this in verse 38. I think that's something worthy of noting, worthy of circling, highlighting, whatever. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? We're going to kind of hang out here a little while today and and kind of face that question. Let's just think about for a moment how much doubt has been filling the disciples' minds at this point. Can you halfway try to fathom how much doubt really has has been coming up into the minds of these disciples? They have witnessed people die from crucifixion before. They've never watched anybody walk away from it. And so here's this doubt that arises in their mind. There's no doubt there are whispers from the enemy in their ear trying to get them to just walk away from it all and not look back. Matter of fact, Peter was to the point to where he was going to walk away too. Peter was to the point of saying, okay, Jesus is dead. I've sacrificed everything in my life for the past three years. Everything that I've sacrificed for is now gone. What do I do now? And he's like, okay, the one thing that I know I can do is I can fish. And so Peter's just going to go back and go fishing. We know this because he rushed right back into doing this, and this was the thing that's familiar with him. It's the thing that he is good at. So Peter picks up his nets, he goes back, pushes his boat off the shore, and he goes back to doing what he's familiar with, good at. And he goes back to doing it. And we do the same exact things. Whenever we're in a situation of uncertainty and doubt, the thing that we do normally is we go back to something we're familiar with. We go back to something that we understand, whatever that might be. It might be an old lifestyle that we live. Maybe it was an old boyfriend, an old girlfriend. Maybe it was an old habit. Maybe it was a landmark. Maybe it was a place that we were used to going to. We don't, I don't know all of what it might be for you, but have you ever had doubt set into your life? And how did you respond to that doubt that came into your life? You see, this is an experience, talking about doubt, this is an experience that is common to every one of us here today. I don't care how old or how young you are, you doubt something somewhere along the way. And I believe one of the biggest problems in the Christian faith today is for us to think that we as Christians, no matter how long we've been saved, living for Christ, that we don't doubt what we believe. I think that's a problem with us. It's not that we we say, no, I don't doubt Jesus. I don't doubt the fact that He is who He is or what He did, He came to do. It's not that. But along the way, there are things that happen in our life and doubt begins to set in, but we don't want to talk about it. 
And the reason we don't want to talk about it is because it's going to make me feel inferior as a child of God, as a Christian. And if other people hear about the doubt that I have inside of me, they're going to question whether or not I'm saved or not. And God forbid that anybody doubt that I'm saved. I don't want to look like a hypocrite in front of the whole church. I don't want my pastor to know that I doubt things. Why not? Because I'm going to tell you today, your pastor does. And I think that it's a healthy thing for us to come to a place in our walk with Christ, no matter what denomination we come from, no matter how long we've been knowing Jesus, I think it is a good thing for you to begin to question and look at things. Because if you're not willing to question something and say the what-ifs in life, you're never going to grow in your faith. There's going to be some things you're going to stand there and you're going to be firm on the rock and you're going to say, there's no way I doubt this. I know because God has done X, Y, Z in my life, and I stand firm on this foundation, and there's nothing that's going to sway me there. But there's going to be things in your life as you grow in Christ that you're going to say, okay, what about this? And you're going to have a question that you're going to ask. The problem that we get into is that the devil begins to cause you to doubt the sovereignty of God. He begins to cause you to doubt the ability that Jesus even came to this earth, that He was God in the flesh. He begins to cause you to doubt the fact that Jesus did raise from the dead. He causes you to doubt, can Jesus actually forgive me of my sins? Can Jesus actually save me? And the devil comes in and he starts doing these things to you. And whenever you begin to question and doubt the fact that God is who He is, that's when we get on a slippery slope of danger and things begin to happen. If you are not rooted and grounded in that part of your faith, the other things are going to be able to come very, very easy. It's going to come very, very easy. Have you ever had this set in, this doubt in your life? It's an experience, again, that's common to all of us. We doubt something at some point along the way, and there have always been things in our life, in our Christian faith, that we've doubted to, that, that had, had the need to be proved along the way. You don't have to flip over there, but one of my, one of my go-to scriptures when I start thinking about this doubt is over in Mark chapter 9, and it's in verse number 24, where the man, he's talking to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and he says, do you believe? And he's talking about God, do, Jesus doing this amazing thing to help heal his child. Jesus says, do you believe? He said, Lord, I believe but I need you to help me in my unbelief. And I think that's where we are a lot of time. You see, even though the disciples, they were confused about all that was happening, I don't believe that they were so consumed by doubt that they rejected what Jesus said about Himself. I believe they still believed that Jesus was who He said He was. I don't think that Peter ever backed away from the fact that when Jesus says, I understand what everybody else says about me, but he looks at his disciples and he says, but what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter looks at him and he says, without even blinking, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And whenever Peter said that, he meant it from the depths of his soul. He knew who Jesus was. But Jesus tells him, Peter, no man has told you this. The Holy Spirit Himself, God, has revealed this to you. And I believe that whenever Peter said what he said, he wasn't doubting the, uh, the fact that Jesus was who He was. They still believed that Jesus was the Messiah. However, I think they just did not have an understanding of everything that was surrounding this. 
They didn't have this understanding. They, they doubted. They were consumed with confusion and, uh, and, and just uncertainty. They didn't know what it was all about. So think about it. They've heard stories of the empty tomb. We're not even through a 12-hour period since all of this happened, and they're hearing stories about an empty tomb. A tomb that they saw filled up with Jesus' body, so to speak, okay? A, a stone rolled in front of. They've heard the stories about Jesus appearing to others. Everyone in that room that day, they've not all seen Jesus. Everyone in that room that day, they've not all seen the empty tomb. Everyone in that room that day, they've not experienced what some of them have, but they're hearing the stories. Some of them, however, have actually seen Jesus with their own eyes. And whenever they've seen Jesus with their own eyes, they're convinced. They're convinced of something. They may not be totally convinced that what really is going on, like the world has just been changed and all of the whole fabric of earth is going to be changed because of what happened today. They don't understand all of that. But they have seen Jesus. And whenever you start trying, as these disciples were, to put all the pieces together, well, it just isn't making much sense. And this is where I think the disciples were at this time. They had pieces, but there were the edge, the corners. The boundaries weren't solidified yet of their puzzle. They had a few pieces that were missing, and they needed God to come in and put those pieces where they needed to be. This is where I think they were. I, I, they believed, but they needed help with their unbelief, just like the man in Mark chapter 9. They had belief, but Lord, please help us with what we can't believe right now, what we don't believe. We don't have the ability to believe right now. They needed help with confusion, and they needed help with doubt. What about you? So whenever you think that you have doubt, and you have confusion, and you have some unbelief that is set up within you. It's not the belief of who Jesus is, but Lord, there's some unbelief about myself. I'm a little bit confused about me. I don't really know where I fit into this puzzle, Lord. I, I believe in you, but I need you to help, help me in this part of my unbelief so that I can be the best who, of who I can be for you. Would you admit that you've been much like the disciples at some point in your faith journey? You've had a lot of the pieces, but you've not had all the pieces, and you don't know where those pieces are. And Lord, I am trying with everything in me to search your word, find these pieces, put them in the places that they need to be, because God, I'm really struggling with this. Would you admit that there have been some unbelief, some confusion, some doubt in your life, and would you be willing to ask Jesus to help you with it? Would you be willing to say, Lord, I can't unless you do. I'm not going to figure this out. And from my viewpoint, this is exactly why Jesus did what He did. All of this story, what well, we have this very last part of the story where Jesus appears to His disciples, He does it all because of what He's about to do. He does everything for this. Jesus appears to all of them at one time so that He can squash doubt in their mind. He wants to squash all of it. Okay, I've had these little pieces of the puzzle that I've been putting together in different people's minds. I've appeared to them over here, appeared to them over there and over there, but now we've got them all together and I'm just going to show up in the middle of all of them. Startles all of them. Just, just brings fear into all of them. It scares them half to death. He comes in and he tries to 
do the one thing that He wants to do, and He does the one thing that He wants to do for you. He wants to turn your doubt into faith. You see, the absence of faith is doubt. And the only thing that can drive doubt out is faith. The only, it's the only way that it happens. So Jesus appears to them, and by doing this, there would not be any doubt as to what happened because all of them will see the same thing, all of them will hear the same thing, and all they have to do is say, hey, did, did you just see what I saw? And they'll be like, yeah, but did you see what I saw? Yeah, we did. Okay, so all of us in here just saw Jesus in the room. We all just saw Jesus' hands. He has holes in His feet, in His hands. He has a spear mark in His side. This is the same guy that we all saw hang on the tree, and he died, yes. But now he's breathing. Now he's alive. Now he's eating. And Jesus wipes out all of that. Look, he doesn't just show up. Notice what he does. Look at the very first Scripture there. He, Jesus speaks to them. He doesn't just show up and appear there. He actually speaks, and he says something that he said to them many times before. He speaks peace into their life. The first words that Jesus says, peace to you. This was a common salutation for the Hebrews. It was common for them, and it helped them to know that what was this was not just some stranger that showed up in a Jesus outfit. You know, this, this is not somebody playing pretend. This is actual Jesus here. This is how Jesus has spoken to them many times before. In verse 38, He goes to them and He says, Why are you troubled? And why are doubts? arising in your heart. I want you to just really think about this for a moment. This was a very common thing that Jesus would do with His disciples. Jesus, I want you to listen to this right here. Jesus would speak to the things that were always unspoken. They're, they're not talking about their lack of faith. They're not talking about their doubt. Even when the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus, they're trying to catch Jesus in in a, in, a, in a situation where he's so-called blaspheming God, and they're watching him do something, Jesus stops what he does, turns and looks at the imposter standing at the back of the crowd judging everybody, and he says, why are you thinking that? Do you think it would be better for me to heal a man on the Sabbath? Or what if I told him your sins are forgiven? <gasps> and that's what they do. Like, oh, he can't do that kind of stuff. But Jesus speaks to the things that are unspoken. These disciples haven't spoken anything about their doubt, but Jesus speaks to their unspoken. And He would ask the question about what was going on inside of them. It was the question that only someone with a supernatural ability could do. And over and over we read about Jesus doing this, like I said, with the Pharisees. And He asked them questions that needed to be addressed, but no one would speak out and say it, but Jesus does. That's another reason why they know it's Jesus. He goes on in verse 39, he says, touch me and see. They were able to actually touch Jesus, see the nail marks in his hands and his feet. They Even in one of the Gospels, he was able to tell them, hey, put your hand right here in my side. You will see what has actually happened. They were able to see all of these things. Now, not only is Jesus talking to them, but they have tangible evidence. They touch him. And there he is. And then lastly, Jesus sits down and he ate with them. He sits down and, and he eats. Now, I've watched a lot of movies, got a lot of ghosts in them, and nowhere in there, I, I've never watched anybody eat. I've never watched ghosts eat. I don't, I mean, they, they've not been able to pull that off in Hollywood. I mean, I don't know if they, maybe they have, maybe you know of some, but I've never seen one 
eat at the movies, but they have physical evidence. Jesus sits down with them, and Jesus says, don't you know that, that ghosts or spirits, they don't have flesh and bone like I do. They don't sit down and eat, but Jesus sits down and eats with them. And the point is, is that Jesus was debunking all the doubt that they had. And they had questions. Jesus answered them with this appearance to his disciples. You have heard the old saying, if it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. If he looks like Jesus, if he sounds like Jesus, if he talks like Jesus, probably Jesus. Feels like Jesus, probably Jesus. You understand? And there's nothing else in the world that looks like Jesus, sounds like Jesus, and feels like Jesus. There's a lot of imposters in the world, but there's nothing. Once you've experienced Jesus, there's never anything else that can fit in Jesus' place. So Jesus comes into that room and He says, Peace. That's Jesus. There's no, no other place in the world that you'll go and be able to find peace except for where Jesus is. No other place. I don't care where you, where you try to go in this world. You might try to go to Sandals off of some nice resort somewhere. You might, you're not going to find it at Disney World or Six Flags. There's no peace there. It's, it's chaotic, right? You can try to think of all these nice places that you would try to go to find peace. You don't find it. There's turmoil everywhere. You know why? Because there's sin everywhere. There's people everywhere. But in the midst of Jesus, there's peace. And this is what He's bringing to these disciples. Well, you know, I'd have to say here that this definitely wipes out the doubt that is in their mind. This story goes from the disciples being startled and frightened when Jesus appears in the room and then transitions to fellowship around the table. And what better place for Jesus to reassure His disciples? and had a meal together. What better place? Is that not where he started? The day before he was going to be crucified, he sits down at a meal at Passover with his disciples. And then all the way through here, he comes back and here he is with his disciples again, minus one, minus Judas. And he sits down with them again. And he reassures them. What better place and what better way to display any doubt they had you see, there was a reason that Jesus did what He did. And this is what I really want to focus on this morning. Jesus had to resolve the doubts that the disciples had because the job He was about to give them could not be, could not be done. There, there was no way that they could do this job successfully if they had entertained any thought of what-ifs and could-haves. There's, there's no way that they would be able to go out into the world and do the things that we're going to start talking about in Acts. I'm not going to cover the ascension in Luke because the ascension in Luke in Acts is, is so much broader, so much better, and I want, to, I want to go there. The last few verses is Jesus' ascension in the Gospel of Luke. But whenever Jesus tells them what they need to do and what He's called them to do and what He's sending them out to do, this is the reason why Jesus is going to do this and, and debunk all of the doubt in their mind because He was about to give them a job to where they could not entertain what-ifs. What if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? 
if that, mind, if that question was in the back of their mind, let's just think for Peter. You guys remember what happened on the day of Pentecost? Peter stands up, preaches a message that no one's heard anything like before. 3,000 people give their heart to the Lord. But what if Peter had a what if in the back of his mind? What if Jesus really didn't? Could he have stood up and, and delivered the message that he delivered? What about Stephen? Stephen, the very first martyr, the very first one who would die for Jesus Christ, they cast him out in the streets and they throw rocks at him until he is beaten to death with stones. They stone him to death. And while they are stoning this man, he lifts his eyes to heaven and he says, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. And then he says, Father, forgive these people because they have no clue as to what they're doing. Don't hold it to their charge. He repeats the things that Jesus said on the cross. If that man had had a what if in his mind, if he had had a doubt in his mind, could he have gone through with that? What about Peter? Whenever he goes at the end of his life and he is going to be crucified, you want to follow Jesus? We'll follow. let you follow Him all the way to the cross. Peter looks at him and he says, you can crucify me, but I am not worthy to be crucified as my Lord. Hang me upside down. If there's doubt in his mind, could he have done that? So I ask you that today. When Jesus comes in, if there are what ifs and what haves, all of these things, if those questions still stand, how do we do what Jesus calls us to do? In Luke 24, 44, Jesus said to them, these are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, it must be fulfilled. And then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Man, what a, what a Sunday school class. Amen? And He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that the repentance of forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We're going to get into that in Acts. But this passage follows the same theme as the one on the road to Emmaus. Jesus opens the Old Testament for Cleopas and his friend, and now Jesus does it again. He expounds on the Scriptures. He explains to the disciples what happened, why it happened, and the role that they're going to play in it. We've heard this called the Great Commission. Flip over to Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. This is where Jesus stands before His disciples and He says, I am debunking all doubt in your mind so that you will have the power and the ability to stand and tell people what has actually happened. Jesus dispelled this doubt because they would not have been very good witnesses of Him if they did not fully believe the truth about Jesus. He appears to them in order to reassure them and to give them ammunition for the battles that they were sure to fight. And as we'll see in our next study of the book of Acts, the disciples certainly did not struggle with doubt any longer. 
There was no doubt in their mind. Instead, they were bold, they were courageous, and they were more willing to stand up for the cause of Christ than they had ever been before. They just thought they were bold while Jesus was walking around with them. But now, even though Jesus is gone, the Holy Spirit has come. These men and women stand up in boldness and they speak from their hearts the things that they know about God. That's why the disciples says, we cannot but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. We speak of that. We're not making it up. And because they took the story of Jesus to all the nations, we're here today studying what happened. Because they did what they did, here we are. So now, think about doubt. Doubt is a feeling of uncertainty, and it's a lack of conviction. And Satan's goal is to cause you to doubt God. That's his goal. That's his number one goal. He wants you to doubt God's love for you. He wants you to doubt God's mercy. He wants you to doubt God's grace. And he wants you to doubt God's plan. And if he can cause you to doubt any of those things, he's going to make you or he's going to trick you into going off the road, off the plan. More than anything, Satan wants you to doubt God's Son, Jesus. More than anything. You see, the devil showed us his hand way back in Genesis 3. He showed us what his game plan was. He's not changed. He's not changed at all. He tempted Eve to disobey God. Do you remember what he said to her? He asked her, he said, did God really say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? You see, he wanted her to lack confidence in God. Did he really say that? And then you begin to question, well, I mean, I mean, he kind of said this. And then you begin to doubt. And when she affirms God's command, including the consequences that God told her, Satan replied with a denial, which is a stronger statement of doubt. And then he said, you're not going to surely die little bit of truth mixed in with a whole lot of lie. Because when she disobeyed God, she didn't immediately die. But spiritually, she was severed from a relationship with God, and spiritually, she entered into death. Which is where everyone who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior is spiritually dead. You see, doubt is a tool of Satan to make us lack confidence in God's Word and consider His judgment unlikely. Like, yeah, well... I mean, whenever you, whenever you doubt the fact that there's actually going to be a judgment day upon the way that we've lived our lives, if you doubt that and you don't believe that that even is even going to come in the future, you live your life as though you're running everything. But if you live with an imminent judgment, an imminent day, an ending day, a goal in mind that I will have to answer for the way that I live my life, it changes everything that you do today. And I know there are people who say that doubt is just part of being human, but you need to consider what the Bible says rather than just listening to what other people tell you. Because this is what James says in chapter 1, verse number 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it, wisdom, will be given to you. Verse 6, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts, listen to this, But the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Think about it. Over here, then they're over there. Whenever you doubt, you just go back and forth, back and forth. And verse 7, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. This is what doubt does to us. 
There's no stability with a person who is driven by doubt. If you doubt, how you'll be able, how will you be able to fulfill the commission that Christ has given to you? If you doubt, where will your answers come from? If you doubt on which side of the conflict issues will you stand? The issues that are, that are very difficult, the issues that are very troublesome, the issues of whether you say this is a sin or this is not, where do you stand if those things are doubted in your mind? That's why you have to erase that. That's why Jesus wants to appear to you. That's why Jesus wants to eradicate those things in your mind so that you have a foundation of stability. You have a place to operate from. And when you have a place to operate from, you can question other things knowing that this one thing, Jesus Christ, on whom I am firmly planted, is stable and I'm convinced of who Jesus is. All these other things... We can doubt it and we can question it. But who do we ask if it's right or if it's wrong? Jesus. The one on who we stand. That's where we always come back to. For the disciples, Jesus, or had Jesus not dispelled these doubts and revealed Himself to them in this manner that He did, they would have never been able to stand up the way that they did. They would have never been able to stand against the rebuttals of the resurrection. But because Jesus took away their doubt, they were able to stand. Knowing that, that what they had seen, what they had heard, it was all the truth, and they could stand on it. This is why you read about these men and these women who die for the cause of Christ. Because they believe in it. And when you fully are convinced of something, guys, you don't shy away from it and you don't walk away from it. That's why the doubt in your mind, it needs to be eradicated today. In closing, as our musicians come, you see the remedy for doubt in your mind. There is a remedy. There is a prescription, and that is called faith. I've got one more Scripture I'm going to give you. There's only by one way that faith comes. The Scriptures tell us that the only way that faith comes, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. Where does hearing come from? Word of God. So, here, here's the whole, the whole idea of that. How often is the Word of God speaking to you? If faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God, well, Brother Joy, the only way I can hear it is if I'm here on Sundays and you're preaching it. You're wrong. That's, this is probably the least effective way of hearing from God that there is. The Bible actually says that what I'm doing here is foolish. I don't know why God chose to change the world based on preachers. Preachers, apostles, these, these men that took the gospel of Jesus Christ into the world and then they began to train others and those began to train others and those began to train others and it began to just fold over and over and over into the lives of other people. And the reason that people stand up and do what they do, like what I'm doing here, is because of what Jesus has done in their life. The things that He has revealed to them, we just can't keep our mouth shut about. That's why we do what we do. So if you really want to have an effective meeting with Christ, effective meeting with God and the Holy Spirit, you open this, the Word of God. If faith comes by hearing, hearing comes by the Word of God. You open this and you find your spot wherever your spot is. I don't care where it might be. The only, for some of you moms, the only freedom and the only peace you might have is on the commode. 
just be honest. You lock the door, shut the door. And then some of you are like, not even then. But how do you work, how do you work those times in? You see, guys, if faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God, in order to be able to have faith, and in order to be able to hear him, you gotta get in the word. You just gotta get in the word. Right? So when we hear all of this and we understand all of this and we think about the doubt that's in our life, we think about, well, Brother Joel, you know, I've struggled with this and I've struggled with that and, and I've wondered about where I am with Christ and all of these different things. You know, guys, I, I probably very rarely have doubted my salvation. Probably very rarely have doubted that. But as, as I have grown in the Lord, as I have studied the Word of God, there have been a lot of things that I was taught growing up in church uh, through other churches and things that I thought was right, things that I thought was real, things that I began to question as an adult, things that I began to look into and I was like, you know, I don't know that that's what the Bible actually teaches. And that's not a knock on anybody that ever preached to me, ever poured into my life. God was teaching them and revealing things to them just like He's revealing and teaching things to me. And if I sit here and I say, well, well, you know, well, Brother John was my pastor. If I say, well, well, Brother John didn't say X, Y, and Z. He didn't do this, that, and the other. And so, well, that means that I, I've got to go ahead and just listen to what Brother John says. Now, God revealed to Brother John. God's revealing to me. If I live my life based upon what a man preached, and I never listen to what God teach, teaches me, I'm not really doing what the Word's telling me to do. Preachers are great. They help us to get down through life in our spiritual journeys. They help us in our faith journeys. They help us a lot, guys, but if you are not doing this one-on-one -on -one thing with God, you're not gaining the hearing that you need, and that's where faith comes from. God gave us the Bible as a testimony of His work in the past so that we will have a reason to trust Him in the present. And in order for us to have faith in God, we have to study to know what He said. And I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you right here. Once we have an understanding of what God did in the past, listen to me. You have, when you have an understanding of what God did in the past, what He has promised for you in the present, and what you can expect of Him in the future. I'm going to repeat all this on purpose. When we have an understanding of what God did in the past, when we have an understanding of what He has promised for us in the present, what we can expect of Him in the future. We're able to act in faith. You act in faith rather than doubt. Because you know that the road that I am on has taken me here. And when you know that, you act on faith. And you keep moving forward. Hebrews 11 and 1, faith is the assurance of things that we hope for. It's the assurance of what we hope for. Anybody here, I want you to raise your hand. Is there anything in life that you are hoping for? Anything? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. Are you dead? We all have hopes. And whenever you really begin to think about what you're hoping for, spiritually, what are you hoping for? 
tell you what I hope. I hope that everything I believe about God is more than I've ever thought. That's what I hope. I mean, I have I have this understanding, and my understanding of God is, is small. It's small. But I hope that, that He is so much more than I can even fathom. And that heaven is far greater than anything that I could ever dream. That's what I hope for. I hope that the things that I think about that are the worst things that could possibly happen to me in my life as a father, as a husband, I hope that all that stuff one day God would just do what the Scriptures say. He'll wipe all the tears from their eyes. And I won't have to worry about my son, my daughter, my wife. I won't have to worry about you guys because all of that stuff will be put under our feet. Amen? What do you hope for? The doubts in my life, you know the things that I've doubted, doubted the biggest in my life probably in my spiritual journey is that I'm totally cool with praying for all of you. I'm fine with praying for you. You want me to pray for you? I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you in a heartbeat. I will. I'll anoint you. I'll lay hands on you. I'll pray for you. My doubt is, is when it comes time for me to pray for me. I man, I doubt that. I have, I'm the guy who's like, all right, God, I believe you can. I just don't know if you will for me. That's where I come up short. Man. And I've really got to work on that. That's where I doubt. I'm just being transparent and honest with you. Because no matter how far along we are in our Christian walk, there's things that we struggle with as believers. And that's why Jesus wants to present Himself to you. He wants to appear to you so that you can know. You can know, you can know, you can know. And I'm standing on the solid rock of Christ. No matter what comes my way, this is the direction I'm headed. And I'm heading in this direction because I know what He did in the, pa- in the past. I know the promise He's given me in the present. And I know what to expect out of Him in the future. And that's why we do it. Are you struggling with doubt this morning? Face it. You can have it. It's not going to go away until you recognize it. Let me pray for you. So Lord, today, I believe with all of my heart that You are moving in this place. This is a topic that all of us deal with. This is an issue that all of us struggle with. We all have doubts of various sizes and things. And I pray that that we will face them today. That we will just, just throw it all out to the wind, everything else, and say, Lord, I've dealt with this long enough. I can't deal with it anymore. This is where I struggle. This is what I doubt. Lord, appear to me today. Show me what you want me to see so that I can move beyond this barrier in my life. That's my prayer for the church. It's my prayer for them, God, because whenever we have this, this question of doubt answered in our, in our minds and in our hearts, God, we will be so much stronger when we have the opportunities to share our testimonies with other people. So God, come, reveal yourself to us today. Show us what we need to see. And help us, God, be the best representatives of you as we try to carry out the great commission of Jesus Christ. We ask all this in your name.
Amen. Let's stand, church. If you have a need, the altars are open. We'll be glad to pray with you.
certainly love you and we thank you for what you do for us here. And God, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that you're working in our lives to be able to think about a topic like this today and uh, to know how uncertain life is, how that we all deal with it. We all have difficulty. We all have these things that are going on in our lives. We don't always know how to handle it. But when you, man, thank you, Lord. When you speak peace into our life, everything changes. Everything changes. It's like this calmness that comes over us and we're able to just see. We're able to see the things we couldn't see before. God, I think that's what you're doing for us. And I pray that you just continue to lead us and guide us and direct us uh, in the way that we need to get. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.